This is Samia Bano with Make Change Fun and Easy, podcast to help you create massive positive change in your life and the world. Hello, salam, shalom, namaste, aloha, sasrikal, hola, ciao, and bonjour. I hope you're doing fabulously. I know I am, and I'm super excited today because I have my friend Neil Rosen with me, and he is a life coach. He's also a substitute teacher, semi-retired school counselor, and swim instructor. And I'm telling you all of this because we will be learning from him and gaining a benefit from his wisdom having done all of these different works and I'm so excited because today we are going to be talking about how to create more self-confidence in our kids. So Neil, welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Will you tell us a little bit more about who you are and um, the work that you love to do? Sure. So I was an educator for over 25 years as a school counselor, a school psychologist. Um, I'm currently a life coach. I'm starting off as a life coach. And uh, while I'm trying to get my business off the ground, I'm also substitute teaching until I can uh, find another school counselor uh, position. Um, yeah, so you have been working in the school system. You've been working with kids for over 30 years now, I believe. Yes. So you are an amazingly excellent resource for us to talk about this topic of creating more self-confidence in kids. What do you see as some of the big problems that our kids are facing that affect their self-confidence? Well, I think the schools are putting too much emphasis now on, on testing. Mm. Um, a lot of parents, I don't even think are aware why school now starts in like the second week of August rather than after Labor Day. Mm. And it's because of this emphasis on testing. It's test, test, test. And, um, you know, that's how schools are measured. Our school districts are measured if they're successful or not. So there's a big emphasis on testing. Um, rather than I think the social emotional well-being of our students and also teaching students life skills that they can apply to their life now and when they turn our age Mm. yes yeah I definitely see how a lack of education in the context of life skills is a huge issue in our education system and not just here in America but globally I actually never went to school here in America I was like practically 18 when I immigrated here so I went straight to college but I did go to school in India in Pakistan and even in the Middle East for a few years before we immigrated to America. And in none of those countries did we receive any 
significant life skills education or just you know life wisdom education i mean there was a little bit that we learned in the context of like in pakistan they force you to go through religious studies classes or rather i should say islamic studies classes and so they try to you know teach you some basics of the religion of islam is that But mandatory in pakistan it is pretty much mandatory um but you know the honestly my experience of going through those classes is that it did very little good for me like i got some basic knowledge um and i learned some ba basic rituals and things but what i found was really missing and why it wasn't really helpful for me ultimately is because i didn't truly understand what i was learning and why i was learning it a lot of the emphasis was on just rote memorization and just being able to reproduce uh, accurately what my teachers told me on my exams and so forth and well, i think that's traditional teaching yeah. here too in the united states it's just rote and our even our college even our college system is set up that way that you know you have a lecturer up there and the professor talks for you know an hour to three hours depending on how long the course is and you're taking notes and then you're getting tested on it or you have some type of project to do there's no interaction Aww. between the professor and the students that's starting to change now but traditionally you know that's how our system was oh. and i'm surprised i mean i never learned how to do a checkbook in school my father taught me mm. and i don't know about the countries that that you were educated in do they teach you even how to balance a checkbook no certainly not me a girl i never learned that even after i was out of school in those countries uh like i graduated my high school in pakistan and uh, i didn't know how to balance a checkbook i didn't even have a bank account i didn't <laughs> i i my gosh no i had practically no <laughs> practical life skills in terms of if i had to go live on my own i wouldn't have survived and also like filling out a job application oh no not at all in high school i mean, i just applied for a job i had no training in school on how to do that i now they do it i think they do it out of the language arts class in high school but it's not a class i mean i think all these life skills should be a class it should be a elective uh, class rather than trying to do it out of your language arts class or um you know taking a workshop you know a lot of times the school counselors have workshops on how to fill out a job application how to put your resume together you know doing mock interviews yeah. um filling out financial aid statements yes those are really helpful helpful things but because they're not required they're not part of the core curriculum uh, most of the students don't end up actually taking advantage of it at least that's how it was for me in college like where i started out my college uh career in the us 
in Santa Monica College, which is a community college for those people who are not familiar with it. Um, and then it's also I found, one of the better community colleges oh, in California. I love, I love Santa Monica College. I absolutely love, love, love it. It changed my life for the better. I wouldn't be sitting here with you talking so comfortably and confidently if I had not had the experiences and the learning that I had in Santa Monica College. I mean, that's where I really began to come into my own and develop my sense of my own individual self. And, you know, my I began to recognize myself as a leader. I began to see dreams of having an actual career and, um, you know, how I could make an impact in the world. All of that for me really started when I was in Santa Monica College. Um, they have a lot of awesome resources on campus. They have a lot of very, very cool classes. I actually took a class there in financial literacy and that's how I learned about credit cards and how to buy a car and you know like all those but they, but they should be teaching these skills in high school I because know. because some of our students still go on beyond high school for you know further education they don't go to the community college they don't go to the state yeah. college or UC our yeah. private college they go to the workforce yeah and and another thing that just blows my mind is that we don't teach students how to be parents. Yeah. The only way you learn how to be a parent is how your parent brought you up. And if you had a parent that was abusive or neglectful, what kind of role model do you have? True. Very true. I mean, and actually, even before you can become a great parent, you have to become a great person who treats yourself with love and compassion and respect, you know, as so many of us, we struggle. I know as a teen, I really struggled with my self-esteem, with my self-confidence. And a big part of that for me was all the negative self-talk uh, that I gave to myself. You know, I blamed myself, I judged myself, I criticized myself, and I was doing it in vicious, vicious ways. So let's, I wanted to talk about self-confidence because people talk about it, but I don't think they understand it. Yes. And I was listening, you know, to some TED talks and um, some YouTube videos of, of some of the experts in the field, like Jack Canfield, um, who wrote the, the chicken soup series. Mm-hmm. And he had some really good advice. And I'd like to share that with our listeners today, if I may. Yes, please, please tell us. So he was talking about a lot of times we have ne negative memories locked in, in our brain. Mm -hmm. For example, if you get fired from a job, that's ingrained in your brain. Right. Okay, or if you go through an ugly divorce, or if you face some type of trauma, and if you were in New York when 9-11 hit, that's ingrained in your, in your brain for life. I mean, 
last week, I, I think there was a series, a special on, on TV on 9-11, 20 years later. And the first responders um, that were there, you know, the police, firemen, uh, paramedics, and so forth, they still get triggered today. I mean, they have post-traumatic stress disorder. I'm from smells, sounds, these things trigger off memories, traumatic memories that that's ingrained in their brains for life. And so what, so what Jack is suggesting is that we have to acknowledge our accomplishments. Uh, too many times people aren't willing to share that. They think they're bragging or showing off, but it's important to acknowledge small accomplishments, small steps that you make. Um, for example, you know, in school, if, if, if you're usually getting C's on papers and you could push it up and get a B on an essay, that's a small step accomplishment. Um, another one would be like losing five pounds. Mm. You know, if you can lose five pounds, that's quite an accomplishment. A lot of people, you know, during New Year's resolutions, everyone makes these res resolutions and I would say 95% of the people after a month or two, they give up because they have unrealistic expectations. Mm. So if you could make it into small steps and, and chunk it, yeah. I think you'll be more successful. And that's what I do when I'm a swim coach or a swim instructor okay. during the summer when I work with students. I break things down into simple little steps. I don't jump from A to Z. I go from A to B to C. And I don't go to to D until a kid feels comfortable in A, B, and C. Yeah. What are some of the specific steps that you teach uh, when you're teaching swimming? Well, the first step is, you know, putting your face in the water. A lot of students, for whatever reason, don't like putting their face in the water. And especially, I think they get that from their moms. Moms don't hate me out there, but a lot of times I see kids holding their nose when they go underwater. Are oh. they get a like, are they want a nose plug on their nose? And I think they get that from their moms because I don't think dads would do that. Uh -huh. So the first thing is learning how to blow bubbles underwater. Mm -hmm. And sometimes kids blow too much really hard and then it goes like up their nose and then they start mm -hmm. choking and, and gagging. So I tell kids to think of like blowing out a candle. That's how much, that's how hard you want to blow. It's a, it's a, you know, a low, low <laughs> bubble step, I guess. And then once you can do that, the next step is learning how to glide. So it's just pushing off on the side, arms in front. You know, I tell the kids to pretend like you're Aquaman or Superman and just glide, pretend like you're in the sky and you're, and you're gliding. Uh-huh. And then the next step would be the flutter kick, learning how to do the flutter kick. A lot of times kids tend to bend their knees. So you want to show them how to try to keep their legs straight. And it, it, you don't even have to really kick that hard. It could be underwater. It doesn't even have to be above the surface. So like those are some of the steps that I, you know that I teach oh, um, but you don't swimming even, too. You don't but I think I think you could use those same principles. Yeah. And anything that you want to learn, you got to break things into chunks. You yeah. can't, you can't expect someone to, for example, I'm not the most computer literate person in the world. And I think it's important for students 
as well as teachers and adults to know your learning styles. So for myself, I am not an auditory learner and my wife could vouch for that. But a lot of times she doesn't think I, I listen or follow her directions. I'm a more visual hands-on learner. I have to see it and I have to do it hands-on in order for me to learn how to do something new. Yeah. And I think it's important to student for students to know their learning styles right. because a lot of times teachers teach to their style mm. and that might not be the style the, that's most beneficial for the student to learn the yeah. new task. That's right. And actually, I, I know of research that shows that, unfortunately, the way our educational system set up, it's designed mostly for the benefit of people who are auditory learners. It's like you were saying earlier, Neil, uh, most of the traditional way of teaching is focused on the teacher lectures at you and you have to listen and take notes. And so that works really well for people who are auditory learners, but for people who are, um, what's that word you use? The Visual? Doing, well, or kinesthetic? Kinesthetic, yes. The, the kinesthetic learners are at the biggest disadvantage in this methodology and actually there are way more people who are kinesthetic learners compared to auditory learners or even visual learners the largest uh, chunk of the population is kinesthetic learners and they are the least they're the least well served in our educational system like even visual learners have some um some thought given to to their learning style and needs in the traditional context so for example a teacher will usually might have um, you know a powerpoint or write some things down on a board and that can help the the visual learners uh, but what are we doing to help our kinesthetic learners there's very few teachers who incorporate um, teaching strategies that are geared towards helping kinesthetic learners. And that's one of the reasons why so many kids in school struggle. And drop out. Yeah. Because yeah. they don't they don't have any success. Yeah. So that's what I like in the high schools now is that they, they brought back the, the trades and they call it a CTC. I forgot what that stands for, but it's for the students that like want to learn how to auto shop are the kids that want to do robotics, are kids that want to um, learn how to do graphic design. And I'm happy that I'm happy they brought that back uh, because yeah. those ty type of students are kinesthetic learners and and they were getting frustrated. By middle school, a lot of stu students were dropping out, especially in our in our inner cities. And those students already are at a disadvantage, mm -hmm. especially with this COVID. I mean, I was, I was hearing recently during this COVID-19 pandemic where uh, students were out of school for 16 months and were supposed to do distance learning. A lot of the inner city kids didn't even have access to computers or right. Chromebooks. And if That's they did, they didn't have Wi-Fi yeah. for them to, so they can, uh, you know, get the lesson that the teacher was uh. teaching. 
Yeah, and it's crazy that you know they're the kids are struggling because of lack of resources. They're struggling because the teachers are not um, actually doing as good a job at teaching as they could be in terms of accommodating the different learning styles the children have and so forth. Uh, but for the most part, the kids don't recognize that they don't realize that's why they're struggling the system doesn't acknowledge that and so the uh, what you end up with is the, the kids struggles and then it impacts their self-esteem it impacts their self-confidence <laughs> and uh it's just and how do you get get them out of that so what what right. what can well the we kid do? the kids that are struggling also they tend to act out because mm. they don't understand what's going on right so right. they act out and then they get kicked out of the classroom right. and then they miss more instruction right it becomes a vicious cycle and then it you know it, it deters the other students that want to learn too because these kids mm. are distractions right so what and substitute well substitute teaching i've i've noticed at least the two school districts that i'm subbing for and they're both elementary well one goes up to middle school um, Anaheim Elementary School District and Buena Park School District is that they're using the, the whiteboards mm -hmm. for visual for the visual learners. Uh, they're doing like Google Docs and things so kids can actually visually see things on the board. They could hear the instructions of the teacher. So that's that's a good thing. Yeah. But something that I'm really concerned about is that these kids are on these Chromebooks and stuff. And there have been studies from psychologists um, for years, and I think writers can tell you this too, that using a pencil or a pen when you're writing, somehow it's ingrained in your brain. But when you're using a, a keyboard, that information doesn't stay ingrained in your brain. Mm. And so kids are missing out on that because they're, I mean, I'm shocked. And this is another skill I think kids should learn. Kids, can you believe this? And, and some parents that don't even realize this, kids are not learning how to handwrite anymore. And that was a skill when I was in school that you learned that. You learned printing and handwriting. Now, either kids don't know how to do it or their parents have to teach them because the schools aren't doing it. Huh, I did not realize schools weren't teaching handwriting anymore. That's no, there, because there's such a there's such that. a focus and demand on testing that the the teachers are just pushing the skills that the kids need to learn so they can look good on the tests. Oh. It's it's all about testing. It's all about performance. You know, it's all about. So looking good either as a school or as a district as a whole. Yeah, yeah. So I wanted to go back. Jack mentioned, you know, on accomplishments, and I thought this was really a neat idea. I, yeah. I don't think I would have ever thought of this. I remember doing like a timeline in school. Uh -huh. And this is kind of like the same exercise that he's suggesting is that you break up your life into three sections. So you, you can go from let's say uh, your elementary school years, maybe to junior high, that could be one section and junior high, 
to high school could be another section and then from you know college to your first job maybe that could be a, another section so he's he's suggesting three so maybe maybe you could even do four you know because then you could talk about middle age mm-hmm. and then you could have you know uh, being a senior that could be another section but he talks about and i think this is really neat is to come up with a hundred different things that you have accomplished in your life and put them in each section mm-hmm. so for example in elementary school learning your multiplication tables that would be under that in middle school it could be uh writing an essay or uh you know deciding on a, maybe a possible career path that you want to follow or um you know a science experiment that you know that you can you know the four steps of a science ex- experiment and i can't think of them offhand but you know where you have a hypothesis you test it out maybe reevaluate and then retest again yes so that would be like a middle school thing and then high school would be um you know coming up with a, maybe a, a resume or um a portfolio of uh things that you have accomplished in high school you know maybe passing ap exams or honor roll classes are you know writing an essay or um, a persuasion paper or a speech uh you know being part of band or a drill team yeah. you know this would all be in your portfolio mm. and and then in college you know i know that in college um being in education um i was going for my administrative credential and we started putting a portfolio together so when you go for a job interview you could share this information uh with the interview panel i think that's a, a marvelous idea that what jack came up with is is this concept of like having a timeline and dividing your life up and and, and putting down your accomplishments and they don't have to be great things and he was talking about like you know getting promoted to middle school graduating high school um passing your driver's license you know getting your first job yeah yeah it, it, okay so i'm i'm i received two lessons from that number one celebrate celebrate every accomplishment whether it's big or small uh in someone else's eyes or in society's eyes um celebrate every accomplishment and number 2 like in the context especially of developing this kind of timeline for yourself you want to get in at least 100 of them in <laughs> because i i think that is something that's really important i know as a happiness expert one of the things that i work on with my clients is raising their gratitude awareness uh or what i call oh, that's, into yeah. our gratitude attitude right and one of the things that i find is that a lot of people really struggle to find things that they can be grateful for like if i say come tell me five things you can be grateful for right now a lot of people can't think of five things you know they'll they'll think of maybe one thing two things and then they have to think a lot to come up with the third fourth fifth thing and if i say tell me 10 things right now that you can be grateful for most people can't do it and so i'm anticipating that 
when people start to create a timeline like this for themselves and they have to think of a hundred accomplishments, some people might feel a little challenged by that number hundred, but don't give up, you know, like once you- Well, even try to do 10 or 20 to start off with. Yes, exactly. You just start the process. And then the more you think about it, the more you practice this, it's a skill, I think, uh, the better you will get and the more things you will begin to remember that you have accomplished and you'll be able to add that to your list over time. Yeah, Steve, Steve Harvey talked about gratitude. Uh -huh. um, you know, I like to talk to, about him on another podcast about, he talks about success uh -huh. and and I don't know, a lot of people aren't even aware of this, that he was homeless for three years. He was living on the streets and he's not a very well-educated man. I don't even know if he passed, you know, completed high school, mm. but yet he's very successful. Yeah, 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 for sure. I, I love the topic of gratitude and I would love to talk about it another time. And I'm keeping my eye on the clock for you and me, Neil. And I see that we are running out of time for today. So, um, any we're still good. We're still we're good. We're still good. We're still good. <laughs> uh, but we need to start thinking about what are some um, last thoughts that you would love to share right now. Wow. Okay, because I had a lot more I wanted to try to cover. But um, all right, let's go to this. Let's jump to this one. I think this is really important is to visualize success. Um, professional athletes do this all the time. They have sports psychologists that work with them and any type of big game or any game, these players, they visualize their success before they go on the court or they enter the field. Um, for example, like Oro Hershiser, before he even goes to the mound he visualizes the whole game in his mind and him being successful certain pitches you know with the scattering report he knows certain pitches where the hitters are weak he knows you know that he's going to throw a slider to this guy a, a high fastball to this guy a, a sinker ball to this guy and he visualizes each inning and what he wants to accomplish and that's what makes him successful. LeBron James, you know, for the Lakers, he's probably one of the best basketball players of all time. He visualizes success before he even gets on the court as well. You know, like, you know, weaknesses of the other team, what he wants to try to take advantage of, how he's going to get his uh, players on his team open so they'll have an open shot. Um, you know, where he's going to be defensively so he can either possibly block a shot or, or steal the ball or make that other, his opponent uncomfortable and getting off an awkward shot. Mm -hmm. So visualization, I we can all use it. You don't have to be an athlete. You know, if you're going to give like your first speech in front of a crowd, let's say 50 people, you can visualize your speech before you go up there. You know, that you're going to be confident, that you're going to stand straight, that you're going to have your shoulders up, you know, that you're going to look your eyes out into the audience, that the audience is going to be applauding you, that you're going to share knowledge and information that you have gained from whatever career or profession that you do. And that 
you know, everyone's going to benefit from your speech, including yourself. Yes. And you learn, you learn by trying. If you don't try, this is another key point. If you don't try, you're never going to get better at anything. And people are afraid. Kids today are afraid to fail. Mm. And failure, we don't emphasize in school that it's okay to fail. Yes. That the only way you're going to get better is by trying and failing. Um, I think it was Kobe Bryant. I, I heard this from Steve Harvey that, no, it was Michael Jordan. Oh. And Michael Jordan is one of the best basketball players of all time, too. You know, he won so many um, championships with the Chicago Bulls. And he was always the player that they would go to for the key shot. Well, he shot, I think, over a thousand 246 shots to try to win a game and out of those he maybe made 146 people don't talk about all the misses he made they talk about the ones that he that he made that had his team win yes that's so true that is so true i think that's another issue this idea of failure and seeing failure as a good thing as part of the learning process um, this is probably something we could also talk about in much much more depth uh, the next time you join us um, it, it's so important and I, I must say our school system like you said is actually very much I think at fault that our kids are afraid of failing because we are the ones who emphasize testing. We are the ones who put grades on um, uh, uh, numbers on them. And then we say to them, hey, if you don't achieve this grade, you don't achieve this number, then you're bad. You're doing bad. You are bad. You're a failure. We put those labels on those kids and uh, and then, well, know. we just recently, and it's going on right now, is you know the court case about those parents, the scandal about making up things to get accepted into prestigious uh, colleges that USC and some other colleges parents paid coaches to lie. Kids weren't even on these teams in, in college or high school, and they. <laughs> They were lying to try to get their kid into these prestigious schools because of the pressure of trying to be better than the Joneses. That's right. That's right. And, and you know, it, it, it's like you're, you're given this message again and again that if you don't get the right grades, you don't get the right, um, you know, uh, s uh, s kind of success as is defined, then you are a failure. Your life is ruined. You know, you won't, you will never be able to, uh, you know, if you you won't get a good job, then you won't make money, and then you'll you'll never be happy because in this in this philosophy, all your happiness depends upon your ability to succeed in these ways of you know first getting the good grades in school and college and getting the good job and then making lots of money, and it's all tied together, and so it's like failure at uh, at any level, at any stage, it's it's like the message is your life is ruined if you fail, and so no wonder people are so scared of failing. Yeah, you're right on. <sighs> Can sweet. I share this? Do I have time to share this last thing? Sure. 
I saw this in a in a classroom when I was subbing. I think this is great. A lot of the a lot of the schools, you know, because of this, you know, the COVID nineteen are dealing with mental health issues and they're trying to teach kids mindset. And I saw this one chart and I thought it was pretty neat and I wanted to share it with your listeners. So this is a growth mindset. So instead of saying, instead of whatever, try thinking, I'm not good at this. How about think about what am I missing? I give up. Instead of saying I give up, how about trying a different strategy? Instead of saying it's good enough, is this really my best work? What about this? I can't make this any better. Instead of saying I can always improve. A lot of times you hear kids say this, this is too hard. Instead of saying that, this may take some time. I made a mistake. We we're talking about failure. Instead of saying mistakes help us learn. Failure helps us learn people. And, yes. and, and you were saying just, you know, we're blaming the teachers, but I think parents are, should take some of this blame too. Because a lot of times they, they try to protect their kids from failing. Right. So let me go on. There's only a couple more. Uh, I can't do this. Instead of saying, I'm going to train my brain to learn how to do this. I'm never going to be smart. Instead say, I will learn how to do this. If plan A doesn't work, there's always plan B. My friends can do it. And I will learn from them. Awesome. I love this. Thank you so much for sharing that. Those specific ways of reframing these pesky thoughts that can come into our mind that I'm sure people will really, really benefit from that. Uh, I really appreciate your coming on today, Neil, and sharing so much excellent wisdom and advice with us. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. It's been a lot of fun. I hope we do it again. Are we going to do it again? I am game <laughs> if you are. I would love I'm to game. have you back. Yay. Awesome. All right. So thank you so much, everyone, for listening. And we will be back. And in the meantime, I wish you lots of peace and joy. 